And it's lovely to be back in the lifeboat. I, it's good to know that she's still afloat and going in the right direction, <clears throat> heading for home. So it's good to be with you tonight, Bertie and Pat and uh, you good friends here at the lifeboat. And I'm sure there's quite a number here tonight. It's good to see such a fine congregation of people uh, gathered on this beautiful May evening. And the birds are singing and the, the, the landscape is looking beautiful. And the good hand of God is everywhere to be seen and we can sense the presence of the Creator with us and around us. So we're sharing together in the fellowship of this gospel this evening. It didn't come to preach. <clears throat> so I'm well aware that this congregation is very well blessed with preachers and preaching and the truth of the great book open to you week by week. So I've come to really share some of my life story, um, <clears throat> and uh, to know just the sense of the consciousness of the Lord amongst us, speaking to us, ministering to us tonight, knowing our needs, and well able to supply them. So we rejoice together in the, the knowledge tonight that the Lord of hosts is with us. And I'm not going to uh, <clears throat> read a long portion of Scripture, just have a couple of verses here. And the psalmist said, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. And that really, that really in short is my story. I called upon him and I've kept calling upon him down through the years. Some of people say, what age are you? What age are you now? Well, just to save you from sitting counting up the years, I was born on the 12th of April, 19... What? <laughs> 1938. I'm not sure what time of the morning it was, but um, that isn't... He just turned 84 years. So it's a long time to be on the road of life, yet it seems very short. My mother died at the age of 93, I think it was, and she said to me, I don't know where it has gone. And that is the way, isn't it? But um, <clears throat> why worry about that? Some people say, how is your wife keeping? 
My wife was from the Isle of Lewis out there in the highlands of Scotland. <laughs> I was saying, some of you, some of you fellows selling a motor car now and again, you know what you do? You put an advert in and you say mechanically, very good, but just some age-related marks on the body. I think that sums that sums me up anyway. I'm, <clears throat> I've been choking with kind of for a long time now. People say, "Is that a COVID cough you have, Colwell?" And then they begin to sort of step away from me. You know, friends, my cough is far older than the COVID. <laughs> we're we're still going. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <coughs> so, I might cough here tonight a bit, and uh, <coughs> I brought water in there. Oh, I see it now, Bertie, yes. I was afraid you'd drunk it on me. <laughs> well, bless the Lord. <coughs> As I say, folks, uh, <coughs> I was born in a farmhouse in County Donegal, a farmhouse with a thatched roof. There was no running water. And there was no uh, <clears throat> electricity. There were no mobile phones or TVs or anything like that. I know it's hard for young people now and it's hard for my grandchildren to really understand that ever we lived through days like that. But that's how it was. My mother was a Christian before I was born, and I think it was only her faith and prayer that took her through those days, for that's one of the things that I will always regret, and that is the slave labor that my mother had to put up with in those days. There were seven of us in the family, there were six boys and every one of them had a sister. That makes seven, doesn't it? And we were born and raised in the days, young people, when there was a lot of work to be done manually. A lot of work to be done manually. And uh, <clears throat> my mother spent hours sitting there patching and sewing um, our clothes and so on. The young people then, they, you were born in the days of, you know, the ventilators in your, the legs of your trousers and all that kind of thing and so on. But in, in my young days, uh, that wasn't the fashion. So uh, it was a different story altogether. But I am glad that in, a, in an early life I heard the gospel, the true gospel of God's saving grace. And I had been to church often and done many things that the church required of me. But when I was 13 years of age, my <clears throat> the, the uh, two faith mission girls came to our area and they came to tell the story of redeeming love. They had no motor car, they had no bicycles, they... But they had Wellington boots as well as other boots. 
and they had the Wellington boots because if they saw you in the field, they put on the Wellington boots and they would walk the field to find you and talk to you and invite you to the, to the meetings. And established that if we were working at potatoes or the like of that, if they could give some help, that's what they did. And the, those impressions were brought upon me at that early age. And then they conducted a six-week mission. Night by night, they told the story of the Bible. They told it well. They made it plain and simple and clear to us. And by the end of the mission, we were conscious that we stood in need of God's grace and God's salvation. And the closing night of that six-week mission, a well-attended mission it was, and most nights the nine of us would have filled the pew, a pew there in, in in the mission hall, which was situated in the corner of a field. It wasn't a portable hall, it was an established hall, it was just a few yards from the, from the, from the border, and uh, it was a real country situation. And after those six weeks of faithful labors in the gospel by those ladies, as far as I know, there was only one shy, reserved little fellow that trusted Christ. And that's who's talking to you tonight. Six weeks telling the story of redeeming grace and love and calling people to the Savior. Now you hear about missions today. You hear about missions in the past when great numbers of people got saved and that was precious and wonderful. But it wasn't always the case. You always hear about the high points, but you don't hear about the lower points. And the same in our lives, even when we're given testimony in that, we always want to keep the sunny side out. But none of us live on the sunny side every day and every hour. But the Lord is good and merciful and kind and patient and long-suffering with us. And he knows us tonight. And he knows you and he knows me. And we can't hide these things from him. And we come into a service like this and he wants us to open our hearts and open our minds and open ourselves to what the Holy Spirit is ministering to us at such an hour as this. The earliest impressions that were made upon me as far as prayer was concerned, when I saw my mother, despite all the work that she had to do at the farm, my father was a busy farmer on a small farm on the border, and there was little money around. And there was none of all the, the, the gadgets that we have today. But she still took the time on a Wednesday night to walk the half mile to the prayer meeting to pray for her family and to pray for strength and grace and help and supply of need for every day that we were going through. So thank God for good mothers. And I still remember the night that my father came home from a mission And he opened the little blue-backed New Testament and sat down at the fire 
and he opened the Testament and read to us from the Word of God. And fathers in the service tonight, you never know the impression that that, if you do it, has upon your children. They will forget many things, but some of those things they will never forget. And it's good to to do it and show them that you really love the Lord and you love his word and you love them. And you honor, want to honor the Savior. <clears throat> and after I was uh, <clears throat> at the trusted Christ that night, the closing night of that mission, I was, con- I was conscious as I cried out to the Lord that I was a sinner. I was young. I wasn't a drug addict. I wasn't a blasphemer. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't none of those things. And I, in a sense, I, I suppose I could have said, well, sure, you know, he, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I am a Christian. But I knew in my heart of hearts I was not. And as I knelt that night and I cried out to the Lord, his word has promised me the gift of salvation. And as I cried out to the Lord that night, the gift of salvation came to my soul. And bless God, friends, there kneeling on the bare boards of that little mission hall, the miracle happened, and my soul was saved, born again for eternity. And God's hand was on 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 me, and I knew it. I used to go with my mother to the prayer meeting. And some of you people might be as I was. When it came to the time for audible prayer, now I'm not saying that everybody goes to a prayer meeting needs to pray audibly, because, and if they don't, that they're not saved and they're not a Christian and they're not following the Lord. But, The mother of Jesus said to the people at the wedding feast of Galilee, whatsoever he says unto you, do it. And I knew in those prayer meetings that I should be talking to the Lord audibly. Could there be somebody like that here tonight? And just the fear of man that was filled me and you know why? As a consequence, I began to lose love for that place of prayer. And in the years that followed, in the years that followed, I wandered in and out of places where people, young people, go for looking for friends and company and satisfaction and all that sort of thing. But you know, something had happened to me that spoiled me for the world. And in those places, I couldn't really see any purpose in trying to find what people were looking for. It seemed to me to be so vague and empty and cold and lifeless. And you know, during those seven years, for seven years... I wandered in that wilderness experience. I always had the highest respect for Christians. And uh, I had a great desire 
always to be in the place where the gospel was preached. Maybe you're a person like that. And yet, friends, my heart was not really in tune with the Lord. And I wasn't committing any wicked, terrible, sinful deeds. But the Bible wasn't as precious to me as it should be. And prayer was not as as precious as as it can be and should be. And so that's the sort of a life I was living. And I would have traveled miles to be in a service like this on a Sunday evening. And anyone looking at me would have thought, well, you know, he's a fine Christian lad that there. It's good to see him in the service, good to see him in the meetings, and so on. But you see, friends, God, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon our hearts. And he's kind to us and merciful to us. And on a Monday morning, standing in our own farmyard with a yard brush in my hand, the blessed Savior that drew near to me that night in the mission hall and saved my immortal soul, the presence of that same Savior came around me. And I can only describe it as this, like this. That if you stood out there on a wild winter night and you were perishing with cold and someone came and wrapped a nice warm cozy blanket around you. That's the feeling I had. And an inner voice said to me, Colwell, I want you to go back to Calvary. And on the Monday, the Thursday night of that week, conscious of the fact that I wasn't what Jesus wanted me to be, I wasn't following as I should, I wasn't witnessing as I should have been, I wasn't reading my Bible as I should be, prayer was not precious to me as it could be. And on the Thursday night of that week, I made my way to a A meeting, it was a prayer meeting. I reached there when they were singing the last hymn, got into the back seat, and I sat there as the people filed out. I had come to that hall that night to seek the Lord as a soul that needed to be restored. And He is the restorer of our souls. And if you find yourself having drifted not deliberately into bad things or the wrong things, but maybe having drifted some way from prayer and the Bible and witness and praise to God and so on, friend, I stand before you tonight to remind you that he restores the soul and he will do great things for you if you'll only just turn back to him and surrender to him. I only knew one man in that meeting. He was leading it. Other people had left the meeting. And I came forward to the front of the hall and I told him who I was. I I knew him, but he didn't know me. 
And I told him I had a seeking soul and I was seeking the Savior and I was seeking to be restored. And we sat down and we opened our Bible at Psalm 51. And if you're with us tonight and you have drifted from God and maybe you have sinned against him and you know it, would you go to Psalm 51 in humility and in faith and open your heart to the Lord as you open the word of God at Psalm 51 and he'll give you the word there through the Spirit that will lead you back to your place of forgiveness and gladness and joy and praise and song for your heart for the future. I came out of that mission hall and I looked up into the starry heavens and I said, Lord, whoever follows you to the end of the road, whoever doesn't, by your grace, I'll do it. Came back to the farm. Every day was good. Loved the farming life. No day too long was good. Mixed up with the boys down the street to the open air on the Saturday night and started witnessing and so on. And oh my, my, it was getting on really good. And then, then a, a still small voice started speaking to me. Go ye and preach the gospel. Go ye and preach the gospel. Every day that that was there with me. And there came a day then when I had to leave the farm and to go. There was no escape. I had to go, friends. I had to go. But then I was living with my old grandmother and she was on her own. And she was an ill woman many times. And often I had to get up in the night and go for the doctor. There was no telephone. How can I leave her? What do you do when you come up against these obstacles? And if you're going to go through with God and lay the only life that you have at his feet and say, Lord, where you lead me, I'll follow then, friends, every obstacle will have to be overcome. And that's what I had done. I had sung in the words of that old hymn that we seldom ever hear sung now. I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. Take thy cross and follow. Follow me. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him. With him. With him all the way. And so, Grandma, I have to leave you for the Faith Mission Bible College, a place that I didn't want to go. I'm a home bird by nature. I never wanted to leave home. But my old grandmother stood at the door and she says, Carl, I'll never try to stop you. You go. 
do what God wants you to do. So she turns. She turns and goes back into her little house. And she's well into the 80s. And she's going to be on her own that night for the first time in all the years she's lived in this world. And I pick up my little case and I go down the road and the devil says to me, what sort of Christianity is that? To leave your old granny there to die. Well, the Lord took care of that too after I had left her. And a dear lady befriended her and looked after her very well. See, we can trust God. He just wants us to take the step. Trust him. And I went off to the Fifth Mission Bible College in Edinburgh. And I had spent two of the best years of my life in that college. And at the end of the two years, the Reverend Duncan Campbell, who was the principal of the college at that time, the man God mightily used in the revival on the Isle of Lewis. And Duncan took me into his office and he says, Colwell, we believe you've got a heart for revival and we're going to send you to the land of revival. And they sent me to the Isle of Lewis. How many of you have been to the Isle of Lewis? Get your hand up to see you. Boy, not too many at all. These are not really a traveled people. <laughs> hey, it's a great part of the world. There's something there. God is here, friends. God's everywhere around us. But Lewis has been uniquely visited by the Lord of heaven and earth. And I thank the Lord that he, he took me there. And I arrived in the Isle of Lewis in 1965. The mighty revival had been there in 49 to 52. And a lot of the people coming into my meetings were people who were saved in the revival. And they were never happy. They were never content with ordinary meetings. There was a hunger and a passion and a cry in them for the greater. And I think to a great extent that also got unto me more at that time than at any other time. For I had a hungry heart for all that God had for me. And he does tell us that if we hunger, if we hunger, he'll come and he'll fill us. And the hunger was there in the meetings. And it was a it was, it, it was a privilege. It was a privilege, you know, to see those people praying and to see those men 
who had journeyed with Duncan Campbell on the islands to, to see those big men shake as, as they poured out their hearts to God for days of his coming down. They had touched on something different. And people, that's what revival is. And we thank God for everything that he's done for us and what he's doing for us and every blessing and every meeting where we have sensed his power and his presence and we are not here to despise the day of small things. But my people, revival is different. As Duncan Campbell described it, it's a community in the grip of God. And when people are meeting on the street, they're not talking about the prices. And they're not talking about this, that, yon, or the other. They're talking about the souls that are getting saved. They're talking about the last service that we're in. They're talking about those who come into Christ in great numbers that had sat on their Bible preaching for years. And now in great numbers. And that first night, the second night that Duncan Campbell was in the Isle of Lewis, when he preached, and the people became so God-conscious that some of the people were holding on to the church pews lest they would fall into hell and be lost forever. The reality of heaven and hell. The reality of God in the midst. And that night as he as he preached in that second meeting, the, a young man stood in the aisle of the church after the service was over. He says, people, the revival we've been praying for hasn't come tonight, but it's coming. He says, I can hear the sound of the chariot wheels in heaven coming. And just then an elder at the door beckoned Duncan Campbell to come down to the door. And what was happening? The entire congregation had left the church and were now coming back again. And lots of others were coming to join them that hadn't been in the first service. You see, the spirit and power is at work. And people don't have to be hassled or pleaded with to come. They are being drawn and they can't stay away. For God is in the place. And they know it. But what about what what happened pre- previous to that movement of the Spirit? Friends, it was people and ministers and elders and Christians 
who got a burden for their island, who got a deep desire to pray as they'd never prayed before. And they're not doing it because they're forced to do something. There's a compulsion upon them. And as the man said to me, you were praying all the time. Wherever you went and whatever you were doing, you were praying in your heart all the time. It's a God consciousness. And what about the dear men that were praying on the barn before the mighty outbreak of the Spirit? But they're praying for their burden. There's a passion with them. And they're in prayer night after night in that barn, praying. And then one night, the youngest of the group says to the others, Brothers, it seems such a humbug for us to be meeting here night after night to pray for revival when we know our own hearts are not right with God. And he started quoting Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of God? For he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, he shall obtain the, see the blessing of the Lord. And there was a wave of power came over that meeting that those men in that meeting never forgot to the day they died. It was a moment of reality. You see, you'll never tie revival down to one or two people. There's always far more people involved in praying for revival and and working towards revival than we know about. But there was two dear old ladies there and their names have always been associated with that revival. And, And fair enough, rightly so. And one of them was 80 and the other was 85. And one of them was almost blind and the other was bound with the the rheumatism. But they were praying women. They couldn't get to church. But they were praying and seeking God day and night. And before that movement, they got a promise. And Isaiah 64 is verse 3. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry land. And do you know this, my people? They believed it. And you sit in the church tonight and I stand in this pulpit and we say we believe it. But do we believe it? They believed it and they said to the parish minister, there's going to be a revival. A great revival. And the parish minister wondered who he would get to lead the revival. And he was put in touch with the faith mission in Edinburgh. And they asked, they asked him in Edinburgh to send Duncan Campbell, who was then a, a pilgrim, faith mission pilgrim on the Isle of Skye. We asked for Duncan Campbell to come to Lewis. He was a Gaelic speaker. Most of the people in Lewis at that time were all Gaelic speakers. And so he was a man for it. He wrote to Edinburgh, the parish minister of Edinburgh, and asked 
for Duncan Campbell to come. And the reply that he got was, Duncan is very busy in Skye. God's blessing him. Souls are getting saved. He's a lot on. He'll certainly come to Lewis, but it'll be for six, in six months' time. And what did the two dear ladies say to, to the parish minister? They said, that's what they say in Edinburgh. But you write again. Because Duncan Campbell will be here within... Within... What did they say? Within two months. Or two weeks. It was two weeks. He'll be here within two weeks. And within two weeks, Duncan Campbell was on Lewis to lead in that great time of harvest and blessing. Precious, so precious. So, so wonderful, friends. You say to me, well, the people of Lewis, were they very saintly people? You know, did they do everything? You know, were... Did any, were, were they sinners at all? Or how did God come and do all this? Friends, they had a thousand faults like what we have. But there, there was a cry and a hunger and a passion and a desire in them to see a new day. And where did that come from? Friends, it came from heaven. And that's where we're looking to and where you people are looking to. And you people have got a heart for revival. And it's not of ourselves. It is of the Lord. And friends, the time of harvest will come mightily. We must wait. We must be patient. Wait upon the Lord. And keep believing. And keep in in, in faith. And wonderful things happen, friends, in that revival. (coughs) I don't... um, I want to take the time to keep you too long tonight. But things happen in times of revival that never happened at other times. My father-in-law, who was saved in the revival, and my mother-in-law. And when my father-in-law was driving a bus across the Isle of Lewis with a number of fellows who were interested in the football, and he got this awareness coming on him. There's somebody in this bus that needs to call upon God. It needs to repent. There's somebody in this bus, he felt, they're not going to be coming home with us. And he stopped the bus and he opened the Bible and he read to the fellows and called them to repent and told them that there's someone on this bus that won't be coming. Home with them. And they went on and they played their game. And then, a tragedy. The ball was coming and the fellow ran backwards to stop it. And he was too close to the cliff. And over the cliff he went to his death. So he wasn't coming back on the bus. Why? 
See, God reveals certain things to certain people at certain times. There's a little village called Arnold, and it was hard. And people didn't want anything to do with the revival. They wanted to keep out of it. And so one night, Duncan Campbell and some of the elders said, we're going to have a prayer meeting in that place. And we're going to pray that God will visit it. And they had a prayer meeting, praying earnestly and fervently. And then towards the end of the night, Duncan Campbell turned to John the blacksmith. And he says to John, John, will you pray? And John prayed, and I'll give you the the words of his prayer. You see, I work missions with a Dr. Andrew Woolsey. And Dr. Andrew Woolsey journeyed with Duncan Campbell and knew him better than most. And in that book that Andrew wrote about Duncan, he records some of those things that happened. And at that night, and Duncan turned to John and he asked him to pray. So John is standing with his cap in his hand. And in the middle of his prayer, he raised his right hand to heaven and said to God, You made a promise to pour water on him that is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. And he paused for a moment. And then he continued. And he says, Lord, I don't know about the others who are here tonight, but if I know my own heart, I stand before you as an empty vessel, thirsting for you, and a manifestation for thy power. He halted. And again, after a moment of tense silence, he cried, O God, your honor is at stake. And I now challenge you to fulfill your covenant engagement to your people and do what you said you would do, that you would send revival. Challenging the God of heaven. And as he prayed that prayer, that stone-built house Shook. The people turned to one another and said, An earthquake. But Duncan Campbell's mind was in Acts chapter 4. When the scripture says about the apostles, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken. God broke upon that hard village that very night. And in the days that followed, quite a number in that village were saved. And Duncan Campbell, a year later, passing by with one of the elders, 
the elder said, there's a little shed there that the boys used to, that was their little pub in there. That's where, that's where they drunk their bottles of a, a bottles of liquid and beer and whiskey and all that goes with it. Now, he says, they use that little house, that little share, shed for a prayer meeting. Friends, we look at the world we live in. We look at people whose hearts are hard. No time for God or the gospel, maybe. They're not too hard for God. And God, friends, God will turn the tide. He'll turn the tide. And if time holds out, there'll be a turning to the Lord. There'll be a mighty turning to the Lord. And a house like this may prove small. We may see it, we may not see it. But God answers prayer. He's heard your cry. And he knows what we need. What days they were, what beautiful days, what beautiful nights they were. Beautiful nights. And Lewis, when the young girls, instead of going home, would walk the beach at two or three o'clock in the morning, singing the psalms and singing the hymns. Didn't want to sleep. What about the blacksmith's son when he went down to start the work in the morning with his father and he found his father on his knees at the anvil before they would start the day there in prayer. And here's just some of the things. I'm only scratching the surface here tonight. But I ask you to I ask you to keep praying, keep trusting, keep going, seek the Lord. If you're backslidden tonight, as I've already said, whatever your situation, call on the Lord, do it tonight, even do it in this church, even do it now where you're sitting. Get back to God. Young man, woman, if God is calling you to the field, wherever it is, whether it's at home or wherever it is, are you going to say, yes, Lord, yes? I will go. I'll obey. I'll do it. God's speaking to your heart. Speaking in this house. He's here. He wants to take us further, friends. He wants to take us deeper. He wants to take us higher. He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit and power. He wants to let us loose in the land for God. May he help us and strengthen us. And God bless you, friends, tonight. When you had 84 years of age and you're preaching and testifying in a church like this and you ask yourself the question, is it the last
Will we meet again? God bless you.